The reading today is from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 23, and verses 35 to 38. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent, who sent me. Night is coming, and when no one can work, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground and made some mud with saliva and put, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means that scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begged him, Isn't this the man, the same man he used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were you, or were your eyes open? They asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought, they, they brought to the Pharisees the man who, who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, but this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But the others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sights until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? they asked. Is this the one that you say was born blind? How, how is it that now he can see? We know it is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind, and now that he can see, or how he opened the eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this before they were afraid of the, Jew, of the Jewish leaders and already had decided that anyone who had, not, had acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And moving on to verse 35. Jesus heard that when they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him now. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Thanks be for the words of God. As we have been working our way through John's gospel over these weeks, uh, we've seen how he makes connections with stories that other gospel writers uh, don't always make. And last week we thought about Jesus' claim to be the light of the world, and that the religious people of the day understood that to be a claim of divinity. That caused them to try uh, to stone Jesus to death but he managed to slip away through the crowd. So then John puts this encounter straight afterwards. 
here uh, is the light of the world, bringing light to a blind man, somebody who'd been born uh, blind. So John is emphasizing the truth of Jesus' claim by showing that the claim is followed up by action. Today I want to talk about the power of perception because he, the man who was healed, was not the only blind person in this story. It's a story of Jesus and the the miracle of giving sight. And as we heard earlier, the man just stuck to his story. I don't know what happened. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that I was blind, but now I can see. One of the mandates of Jesus' ministry and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is to open blind eyes. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When John the Baptist was unsure who Jesus was, and he sent his own disciples to say to Jesus, are you really the one that we've been waiting for? That's how he answered the question. He said, tell John, People are being healed. The lame are being made to walk. The blind can see. Because this is what the Messiah, this is what Jesus was called to do. And so here's this this story of this blind person being able now to see Jesus doing the work to which he was anointed. And then in John chapter 9, verse 39, it said, Jesus said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see and those who've made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. I absolutely believe that Jesus can and does still open the physical eyes of people who are blind. As well as that, I believe that what Jesus was announcing here was the opening of spiritual eyes that are blind, the changing of perception of the spiritually blind. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, says this, If our message is obscure to anyone, it's not because we're holding back in any way. No, it's because these other people are looking or going the wrong way and refuse to give it serious attention. All they have eyes for is the fashionable God of darkness. They think he can give them what they want, and that they won't have to bother believing a truth they can't see. They're stone blind to the dayspring brightness of the message that shines with Christ, who gives us the best picture of God we'll ever get. Paul also, uh, writing to the church in Ephesus, says this, My prayer is that light will flood your hearts and that you'll understand the hope given to you when God chose you. Then you'll discover the glorious blessings that will be yours together with all of God's people. The devil might not be able to stop the light, but he tries to distort it. He tries to color it 
he colors our perception of things. It's as if he, he tries to get us to put on rose-tinted glasses, although maybe you see that in a good way, glasses that distort, because he wants to taint the revelation of Jesus. He wants to stop us seeing the glory and majesty and beauty of Jesus. And he wants certainly to stop us understanding what is possible when Holy Spirit works in us and through us. So we need an understanding um, of the principle of perception because it can either be a problem that limits our life or a power that releases our life to new levels. In the story today, there are five groups of people in, uh, that are mentioned in the chapter who have some connection to this once blind man and the work of the power of God in his life. But each one had a view that was restricted. Their perception was limited. The first lot were the disciples. They had the perception of generations. The disciples looked at this man, and their first thought was, oh, is it his fault, or was it his parents' fault? They understood that if something was wrong, it had to be as a result of sin, either his or somebody in his family. They saw him through the, the, the rose-tinted glasses of generations. And general, generational perception looks at how, when, why, to whom, and where people were born. And actually, we still see that in certain sections of society. Just uh, this week in the newspaper, I read an article suggesting that unless you were born into a good family, went to the right schools and the right university, you could never be on the board of English rugby. Who knew? There are generational labels that we put on people. Perceptions that people place on others that can limit them and box them in. You're just like your father. Well, is that good or bad? Even if it is good, is it limiting you to do what your father did? It could be actually quite dangerous to say things like that to somebody. It could be destructive. Or maybe it is setting a ceiling on their expectations. What about saying, you can do more than your father. You can be better than your father. You can be stronger than your father. You can be the kind of husband to your wife that your father wasn't to your mother. There's more in you. You know, we limit people. We restrict them. And sometimes we use that generation uh, perception as an excuse. Oh, I, I can't help it. You know, nobody in my family has ever gone to university. Well, that might be true, but you could be the first. Nobody in my family has ever. My mother never, and I'm so like my mother. Well, why don't you be better than your mother? Why don't you do things your mother never thought were possible? Why don't you 
Why don't you say, I can, I can actually be different. I don't need to stick to what has gone in the generations before me. God is calling me to something, to some purpose that they would never understand. And I'm going with God. You can break that generational perception and begin a new generational link. Then there were the neighbors. They had the perception of the past. They couldn't actually believe this was the same man. All they, all they had in mind was that, that this, this man was blind. He used to beg. And now that he's not there anymore, they're thinking, well, that's a bit weird. Why is he not there? What happened to him? We read his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? I mean, how different could he be? Well, maybe quite different. Maybe his whole posture. Maybe everything about him was different because he had encountered Jesus. But he still had the same face. <laughs> you know, he st probably still had the same clothes. We're not told he went and had a bath or anything, you know. So, different but not different. And he's, he's there saying, I'm him. It's me. Hello, it's me. Their vision and their perception of him was based on what they knew in the past. It's like before and after photos, you know. And of course, the after photo is always better. It's like, you know, you, you don't have that little bald patch anymore. Or, you know, you're, you're two and a half stone lighter, that kind of thing. You're the same person, but something slightly different. Sometimes we find it hard to relate to a miracle of change in people's life because we want to keep them where they were because that's what we understand. We keep referring to and relating to them in their before state. And yes, sometimes we do want to wait to see the change and for it to become evident. But once that change happens, we, we need to change the label on that individual. They could only see a beggar, someone um, who, who kind of looked like that, but, but they just didn't get the whole picture. The third lot were the Pharisees. They came with a perception of religion. They missed out on understanding the miracle that God had done in this man's life because they were looking at it through the glasses, the perception of religion. Religion is people trying to do the impossible, to reach God through their own strength, their own wisdom, their own ability. And in trying to do that, they bring God down to their own level. True faith, Christian faith, involves God reaching down into the darkness, into the despair, into the lack of hope, and raising up. They referred to Jesus in verses 16 and 24. The leader called the blind man, or the man who could now see back, and he said, swear by God to tell the truth. We know that Jesus is a sinner. They had all these arguments. Well, how could, how could somebody who's a sinner do this amazing thing? They brought Jesus down to their level. 
the level of someone who sins, but they didn't think that of themselves. They thought they were doing God's work. Religion is also uh, more of a concern to keep the rules than, than changing lives. Here's a guy whose life has been totally, radically, instantly transformed. But it was a Sabbath on the day when, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, you shouldn't be working. And they don't get it. They can't rejoice with them. They can't celebrate the miracle because they're so intent on sticking to a rule that they've made up. So again in verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus doesn't come from God. If he did, he wouldn't break the law of the Sabbath. Basically, they're saying Jesus is of the devil and they credit this miracle to the devil. I mean, how bizarre is that? Over the years, I have been blessed to see some incredible moves of God. Lives have been transformed. People have come to faith for the first time. People have come to love Jesus more intentionally and intently than ever before. And yet, still in the midst of it, we hear, it's not from God. Even today, there are people who are more intent on keeping rules and being religious than celebrating the amazing things that God is doing in the lives of others. Religious rules push people down and limit their potential. They hold them back and keep them small. Whereas God says the opposite. God says, I want to raise you up. I want to enlarge your borders and your boundaries. I want to do good, positive, powerful things in your life. Then you had the Jewish leaders. They had the, the perception of unbelief. The Jews missed it because they looked through the glasses of unbelief. It caused them to look for a natural explanation. You see, if you don't have faith in a God who can do miracles, what happened here? I mean, how do you explain a miracle? Oh, maybe there were healing properties in the mud. Well, maybe, but that's not what the story tells us it actually happened. You see, faith enables us to see the impossible, to see that God is at work, that God can do anything that, that God chooses to do. He can heal, he can save, he can forgive. Unbelief can only see things that we understand in our own heads. Of course, we need to be wise. We need to think. We need to use um, logic and common sense. We need to use the skills and abilities that God has given us. But beyond that, faith comes into play. And faith says, God does things that we can't understand. And sometimes we just have to trust. Think of Thomas and how much he missed out on, on those first few days after the resurrection. Thomas, who wasn't there when Jesus appeared. And they all went, oh, wow. And Thomas goes, no, no, no. Until I see, until I can put my hands in his side, until, until I can touch the marks in his hands, no, I'm not going to believe. Again, the other disciples, they're oh, you know, they'll be talking and chatting, wondering what else is coming in. And Thomas is going, no, 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 no. No, no, no. 
What did he miss out on? Because he didn't believe. Of course, he came to believe when he saw Jesus. Unbelief distorts the potential to do the work of God. And lastly, the parents' perception was one of fear. I mean, we, we, we read that in the story. They missed out on this new relationship with their son because they, they were frightened. They, they kind of stepped back from it and stepped back from him because they didn't want to be expelled from the synagogue. Isaiah 43, 19, God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God always does new things. There are always new things with him. And, and sometimes we don't understand it. We don't see it to begin with. And they didn't see it because they were frightened. Fear keeps us attached to old ways rather than press into the new thing. Even if maybe we didn't like the old way that much, we're comfortable with it. And we're afraid of the new thing that's unknown. Many times through Scripture, when God showed up or angels appeared, the first thing they had to say was, don't be frightened. I suspect I would be frightened if an angel showed up, right? I'm just wanting, you know, but, but that's the first thing. Don't, don't be frightened. Because it's not in our experience. Fear is a major player holding people back. Or it makes us prefer the status quo. So here's a man. He's born blind. Jesus comes along, puts the mud on his eyes, sends him away. He goes away and he can see. And then he comes into contact with these different groups of people, all wearing their own perceptions, all wearing their own glasses. Now imagine if each time he had come into contact with one of those groups, he believed what they said. And he began to put on their glasses. So here's the disciples' generational uh, perspective on his life. And he says, oh, it must have been something I did. I don't know what it was, but it must have been something I did. I don't know how I could ever be forgiven for that, but anyway, okay, right, I'll take that. And all of a sudden, instead of, you know, the standing up, being happy and content and celebrating, he's going, oh, it must have been something I did. And then the neighbors come, and instead of sticking to his story, he goes, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'll, just, I'll go back to begging because that's what I know and that's what you expect of me. And then the Pharisees turn up as well. And he decides, oh, this was really wrong. I shouldn't have been healed today. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do because, oh, that, that's wrong because it was a Sabbath. What, what will I do? Oh, I'll need to go and seek forgiveness. I'll go and sacrifice something at the temple. And he gets dragged back into religion. And then the Jews come and try to convince him even more that it's not a miracle. And finally, his parents. He doesn't want to see them hurt and expelled from the temple. He wants to keep them happy. So he puts on their glasses too. But after putting on those five different types of glasses, he can't see anymore. He's blind again. 
That's the story of many of us today. God has saved us and transformed us and given us spiritual sight so that we can see things through the eyes of faith. And yet we still struggle to live full and victorious lives because we allow ourselves to pick up the the wrong perceptions, the tinted glasses that other people put on us. And therefore we limit what God has done and can do through our own lives. Some of us live under the generational perspective, limited by thoughts that we aren't good enough, that we're not talented enough, that we're not from the right place or from the right family. Some of us live in the past perspective, stuck with the ideas of church and faith that haven't worked for years, but we like them. So we cling on to them at all costs. Some of us living according to the religion perspective, working so hard to merit favor, keeping the rules, but forgetting that through faith, we have the unmerited favor of God. Some of us live with the unbelief perspective. Most people here, I think, would say that we are believers. But where do we see the evidence? Are you praying for people? Are you living generously? Do you expect to see God at work in your life and the life of others? Some of us are bound by the fear perspective, always playing safe, frightened to try in case we fail, working out all the angles and the cost, but never just going for it and taking that step of faith. We need to stand up like the man in the story, as the pressure was being applied to him and put on these glasses. But as Elaine said, he didn't. He stuck to his story. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that I was blind, but now I can see. That's all I can tell you. There was no way he was going to allow what other people thought or other people said affect his miracle. And we need to do the same. All of the people close to this man missed seeing the power and the glory of God because their perspective was wrong. Are we missing? all that God has for us because our perspective is wrong. Have we put on those, those glasses, as it were, of other people and so we're missing out on all God wants to do in us and through us? 